buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking company headed by yours truly. And right now I'm in uh, post-production on uh, Emmanuel in Sin City and Lady Hyde. And uh, moving ahead with those and getting some things done, looking good. And uh, should be out uh, this year. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully uh, things are going good for you and all the chaos that's been going on in the world around us. Uh, hopefully this can be your little oasis, your getaway for uh, the next hour or so, whatever it takes to do this. Um, Just Franco films are always nice little getaways, as is cinema. And uh, with this, we are going back to film number 17, a uh, little jump ahead from the last episode, two films, um, because film 16, uh, Two Undercover Angels, um, also known as Sadistic Erotica, we had already done in a previous episode. So this is film 17, um, called Kiss Me Monster, and uh, that's not a command, although, uh, you know, I've heard that before. <laughs> Uh, and I've said that. Uh, so let's see. Uh, actually, yeah. So let's see. Spain and West Germany, 1967. This was made. Uh, the original theatrical title in country of origin, Besame Mus Mon... <clears throat> let's do that again. Besame Monstro, which I always know easy. Besame Monstro. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Besame Monstro. Besame Monstro, because it's Spanish. Uh, Kiss Me Monster, Spanish theatrical title. Uh, let's see, the AT theatrical German video is Kuss uh, Mike Monster. Uh, production companies on this is Films Montana, S.A. out of Madrid, and Aquila Films out of Munich. Uh, theatrical distributors, Ismael Gonzalez Diaz out of Madrid. Joseph Green Pictures out of USA, Film Zentrum out of Vienna, and Atlas International Munich International Sales. Shooting date on this film uh, is uh, November to December of 1967. Says uh, that they show completion of the shooting as September of 67, but they're saying it's November to December, so yeah. Late November, early December, somewhere around there. Uh, Austria premiere is May 31st of 1969. So we're saying uh, about a year and a half or so later, uh, finally came out in uh, 1969. Then played Barcelona uh, almost a year after that in February 2nd of 1970. And then finally, uh, March 13th, 1970, it played in Seville. And then played Madrid, July 3rd, of two years later, of 1972. Then finally played the United States in November of 72. And uh, in Hackensack, New Jersey, actually, was its premiere. That's funny. In November 22nd, 1972. Uh, theatrical running time, and the only running time, because there's just one cut, is 87 minutes. All right, uh, cast on this. Uh, Janine Renault, 
on her third film now. Uh, first was Succubus, and then uh, the last film, Sadisterotica, and now this one. This is her third film, and uh, Rosanna Yanni, and her second film for Franco. Uh, and then we have Adrian Hoven, which is Janine Reno's husband, which has been in the three films with her. Uh, here he plays uh, Eric Vikas, Agent XP-347-10 of Interpol. And let's see, we have Chris Howland and uh, Manalo Velasco in this. And uh, Mikael Limon again. And a lot of the same cast from the first, from the previous film, I should say. Karl Heinz Machkin makes an appearance. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, credits director on this Jess Franco. Story, story Karl Heinz Machkin. Uh, screenplay Jess Franco. And Luis Revenja. The Germany Prince add that. Uh, German adaptation. Jared Gunther Hoffman, director of photography, is uh, George Honero. And let's see, Adrian Hooven, producer is Adrian Hooven, um, German Prince, Karl Heinz Metchkin, production manager. So, yeah, it looks like the usual crew of people doing this one. Uh, let's see who did the music on this. Um, Fernando Garcia. Orcello and Jerry Von Royen, German Prince. All right. All right, production notes on this. Um, unusually, unusually, Kiss Me Monster made its screen debut in Austria on May 31, 1969. A Barcelona release followed on February 2, 1970, just eight months after Sadist Erotica. Wow, interesting. Uh, Catalonian fans of Red Lips must have been thrilled to see them turn up twice in such a short space of time. That's interesting. In Madrid, however, the films dropped out of sight for a couple of years until reemerged on a double bill with Shaft. Sadly, neither of the Red Film Red Lips films played theatrically in the UK. Franco film Franco fans had to wait until videotape to enjoy them. Oh yeah, by the way, before I go any further. This is all taken from Murderous Passions, Volume 1, by Stephen Thrower. I think it's out of print now, actually. Um, okay, so sadly, Franco fans had to wait until videotape to enjoy them. They did, however, receive an airing in the USA in the early 1970s, but there is no record of a German release, despite the German co-financing. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. Uh, so garbled that it makes ten... I'm sorry... Once again, so garbled that it makes twin production Sidist Erotica seem a paragon of lucidity, the bizarrely entertaining Kiss Me Monster achieves a surreal incoherence. Um, characters come and go with so little emphasis you barely have time to register if they're important or peripheral before the next scene begins. The inarticulate English dubbing doesn't help. Titling the, I'm sorry, tilting the chair of comprehensibility back on its hind legs so that the so far that the logic falls on its ass. Franco is clearly aiming for another dish of the wisecracking, sophisticated nonsense he achieved in Sadist Erotica, but at times the dialogue turns to bewildering word soup, a minestrone of non sequiturs. 
against the odds, though the result is once again woefully engaging. But first, however, but first beware, the English language version gets off to a bad start with a confusing pre-credits conversation between Rosanna Yanni's sexy vamp and Charles Helen's Inspector Malou, the latter returning from Sadist Erotica in a scene that expects us to remember him. Also, to Melu, he uses that name quite a bit in other films. Um, let's see, Howland is dubbed atrociously, and the subsequent credits play over the immensely dull shot of a plane coming in to land, which freeze frames whenever a name appears on screen. It's a credit sequence with hiccups and embarrassment from what given from what even the uh, most eloquent of dramas would struggle to recover. What follows is even more perplexing. A car chase filmed in black and white, with zero connection to the story, borrowed from the first Aqua production. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, so yeah, he's basically saying that they used footage from earlier films, and I don't know, it's kind of dumb. Um, okay, once we're introduced to our heroines, the film improves tremendously. Um, actually, I'm not going to go over all this. This is too telling for the scenes. I'm going to go over some of this when we go through. Because um, he's being too specific to the actual scenes and not just an overall um, deal. Um, here we go. Uh, that's too much to think. There's a very strange gay relationship going on between Jacques Morteri and his boss, Dimitri, the latter played by Manalo Otero, the irritating playboy from Sadist Erotica who looks far more home here as an immaculately groomed sadist. Dimitri has created the Andros, a race of muscle men who run around in skippy red briefs. While Manar struts around the chateau with two large dogs on leashes, the whole setup screams pervy gay couple, but as the film was made in 1967, it's just a little too early for such matters to be declared explicitly. Nevertheless, Kiss Me Monster, the bold Spanish film to make in the climate of the day, the frivolity has the jittery feel of nervous subversion. It's as though Franco is pushing the limits of sexual propriety under cover of comedy. In this context, the film's improvisational absurdity dances on a knife edge. Anarchic hostility beneath a veil of silliness. Kiss Me Monster is great fun for those who have broad-minded Euro-trash tastes, but there are times when the story's gad-fightness story's gad-flightness that's such an interesting wordage irritates more than it amuses. The various plot ideas are advanced, promising much, only to recede again, barely explored. Franco cameos as a mystery man with information for the two heroines, but he's felled by a flying dagger before he can offer a single word, which makes the time it took to set up the scene essentially pointless. A repeated sight gag from Lucky the Impossible 2, but quickly this time. Yeah, that's, that's one where he's trying to talk to Lucky at the breakfast table, and he's just, he really played out long. Uh, Franco is aiming for surreal for off of is <clears throat> well, that was funny. Franco is aiming for surreal frivolity, containing just enough plot information to maintain a forward momentum. But the hand that whips the souffle must be firm. Kiss <laughs> what silly is. Kiss me, monster would have gained immensely from another writer going through the script, asking which 
each scene was trying to achieve and how it related to the whole. Given that we're dealing with a mainstream film and a wildly popular genre rather than just one of Franco's oneric personal fantasies, I think it's fair to ask for just a bit more cohesiveness and structure. In almost every Franco film, there's at least one visual concept or moment of inspiration that reminds you what a talent he is. Here it's a Bravo sequence at a beautiful rural windmill. The key to the memory is contained in a piece of... This is too much. It goes too intricately here. Uh, I'm not going to read that before. I actually watched this for the first time. So, Uh, Okay. Uh, Kiss Me Monster races by like an eccentric but amusing jalopy, perhaps hitting more than the usual number of plot holes, but seemingly to hold the road. On the other hand, if you scrutinize it scene by scene and pay attention to every line, it's incredibly off the wall. So if you have taste for the bizarre, why not give this delirious film a spin? You may never know. It might even make sense. See, there you go. That's a nice little review. All right, Frank on screen. Uh, Frank plays a mysterious contact for the Albine, Albeline sect, passing vital information to the Red Lips girls before being stabbed in the back by a knife-throwing muscle man. Cast and crew. Uh, as the Red Lips girls enter the Hotel Victoria, a dark-haired young woman mutters a warning to them on the stairs. This is Caroline Rivera, Franco's stepdaughter by his first wife, Nicole Gutierrez, in her first screen role for Franco. All right, interesting. Yeah, she's... Uh, in quite a few later films. Uh, producer Carl Heinz Matchkin can again be spotted, this time applauding the Red Lips girls during their strip show. Uh, at the time of Kiss Me Monster, Manalo, born Manuel Otero, was launching a parallel career in pop music, recording two singles in 1968 for Spanish Colombia. However, his musical fortunes lay follow for six years until 1974 when he signed to EMI and scored a continental hit with Todo el Tempe del Mundo, for which he speaks to the lyric in a sexy baritone a la Telly Savalas' If. And if I still feel the beat in our bodies between the sheets, they were a wonderful jail from which we were reluctant to flee. The steaminess sets strangely with a tune now familiar to British audiences and is the Johnny Mathis Christmas hits when a child is born, but Otero got there first. A string of 11 albums followed. He died in 2011 at age 68. All right, music as with Saddest Erotica. For the American cut, Jerry Van Royen provides a score full of vivacity with brash horns and sprightly jazz riffs, replacing the Spanish version's rather more sedate jazz score by Fernando Garcia Morcello. Additional music for Besame Mustro was provided by Daniel White, this time, unlike El Quesi de la Dos Pelosaris, credited on screen. Um, studios filmed at Estudios Roma, SA Madrid. Uh, locations. Uh, American locations predominate. Uh, let's see here. We have La Manga del Mar Menor, uh, Archena, Portman, and Balneario. The Red Lips girls once again reside in La Torre de Cabo Roeg, and there was further shooting in Madrid, Mirabella, and allegedly some interior shooting in Munich. Uh, Franco's flair for interesting locations include a quarry full of house, half-destroyed houses. Most impressively is a key scene played out in gorgeous rural locations dotted with old windmills. Yeah, if it was shooting in um, 
allegedly in Munich, it might be from the succubus shoot because they filmed some of that in Madrid, I mean in uh, Munich. So I wonder if they cobbled some footage from there. Interesting. I, I haven't watched this yet, so I'll I'll watch that and keep that in mind and see if I see that. All right. Uh, connections. Uh, as with Sadist Erotica, the dominant influence on Kiss Me Monster is the Avengers TV series, of course, from the 60s with Emma Peel and John Steed and all that. Um, wherever we turn up, people die like flies, says Regina, as Diana casually studies a music manuscript delivered to their door by a violinist who receives a knife in the back the moment he hands it over. Diana plucks the music from the dead man's hand and heads off to the sofa to play the tune on an acoustic guitar. The flippant approach to death, in which clues are prioritized over corpses, is the Avengers through and through. It's as if Kathy Gale, i.e. the masculine Jeanine Renault, and Tara King, the scatterbrained Rosanna Yanni, have decided to leave Steed and strike out on their own. The flippancy is even more pronounced in the Spanish version. For instance, the girls continue wisecracking about the actor Paul Newman and sundry inconsequential topics as they load the dead violinist into the air car. The club at which the fake Bertrand is fake stabbed, as referred to by his fake wife as the Calibia, but it's clearly called the Flamingo Club. The name is written on the door, and it's referred to as such in the Spanish dialogue. All right, other versions. Um, before I go any further, yeah, I have both versions. I have Besame uh, Mosustro, and I have the uh, Kiss Me Monster version. So um, I'm probably going to watch the Spanish version, but I'm going to read some of this. I'm not going to go through every single difference. Uh, like they did with Succubus, but I'll just kind of skim over some of this here. All right. Um, clear, close comparison on the English and Spanish language versions is likely to induce headaches. So let's reach for the paracetamol, and forgive me if I skirt a few subtleties here and there. It must be like Anison or something, or Motrin. Uh, the first thing to note is the Spanish DVD of Besame. Mosturo reveals the correct title sequence, drawing of a woman's legs against a red curtain with a blood-soaked male body on the floor behind them, dispensing with the dog's breakfast that kicks off Kiss Me Monster. Next, it's worth pointing out that Kiss Me Monster borrows footage from Sadist Erotica, namely a sexy girl in a red dress wriggling around a dance floor. It also borrows materials we found exclusively on... El Casio de los Dos Bellosimos, the Spanish version of his erotica, named the encounter with Malou Precrescence. Neither of these borrows appear in Besame Mustro, which is structured quite differently. Numerous scenes in Kispe Monster are reshuffled from the original placement and the dialogue rewritten to account for it, which may explain why the already delirious plot is so incomprehensible. Okay, and they go through different encounters. Blah, 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 blah. From here on, virtually the whole of Kissing Monster is told in flashback. Credits and pre-credits aside, the narrative is bookended by just two scenes. Um, among numerous other changes, two and a half minutes of sexy dancing in a club have been added to Kiss Me Monster, although 
along with a brief but gory heart operation and a 40-second whipping with one of the beefcake creatures. Okay. Um, hmm. I wonder which version is the best to watch. Kiss Me Monster excises some shots from Besame Mustro, for instance. A scene when Vika's daughter sees Diana seduce and the karate chop her father. In the Spanish version, these shots are just puzzling. The climax with the daughter raising a gun to fire, but then rushes away and we never see her again. Hmm. Finally, because he wants to have equipment. Okay, hmm, how interesting. Da, 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 da. I wonder which one would be better. Interesting. Well, um. Hmm. That's interesting. I have to go back and think about it now. They both sound very compelling. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize there's so much difference. Um, okay. Well, let's see. Uh, press coverage. Um, whereas the first Red Lips film was fairly well received, the second effort was universally derided. Um, ABC and DeLuca building the Deleted Bad Press saying that the first film, although of poor quality, had some interest in Spark. The second episode cannot even make that claim. Uh, there were skating reviews, too, from ABC Madrid. Some cinema directors are determined to waste celluloid without setting out to do anything minimally serious. Besame Mosturo, an example of vulgarity and bad execution, is a sample of poor use of film. Uh, they say that uh, another no-class Franco hack job to be avoided at all costs. So, yeah, that's interesting. I like that the uh, Besame Mostoro and Kissing Monster, the two different versions, are so diff are such differences, um, especially with changing around of scenes, taking things out, uh, the style and stuff. So. Um, so yeah, I think I might go with the Spanish one, Besame Mustro. So, but because uh, it's a, um, uh, well, yeah, it's original is Spanish production. So yeah, I'll, I'll probably go with the Spanish one. It's always prefer before they change the English cuts and change everything around. So. All right, so yeah, that's gonna probably wrap up that little part here. Um, I think I'm either going to watch this myself or be joined by. Um, Holly Sini on this episode again and uh, we'll see if uh, we can book that in time to push this out so yeah this is uh, looking forward to this um, I like these this this part of Franco's catalog um, I really liked uh, the last film Sinister Erotica was really cool so um, I am looking forward to this it's very wacky I'm sure very odd so I'm sure I'll dig it um if you want to find us, you can get a hold of us on Facebook at Franco Observer Podcast or on Instagram. We have pages there. You can get a hold of us at Franco Observer at yahoo.com for emails. Uh, you can uh, subscribe, please, to the podcast and download the episodes. Uh, rate and share the podcast with friends of yours, people you know people you think might be into Jess Franco or might want to learn about Jess Franco and all of his films. So like right now we're at 81, so we have uh, 81 plus episodes already of different stuff to go to give you a good library of Jess Franco knowledge and uh, Jess Franco talk, all individually divided into single serving packets, which we love in this world of ours. So yeah, um, 
multinationals. Here we go. All righty, so let's see what else we got here. Um, boop, 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 boop. We got the podcast. We got the subscribe. We got the, oh, yeah, if you, uh, we have a donation button. If you're ever down for that, please do that. We would appreciate that. And we being the royal we as in me, Jason. And let's see what else. Any other notes here looking at? Nope, I think we're good. So, alrighty, well, hang on past the beautiful bumper music that you know and hear every week. And I will come back on the other side. And uh, we, or I, will talk about Kiss Me Monster, go over the Franco list, go over the proper synopsis, and tell you what we think, I think, of this film. All right. Buenas noches. Hey, Franco fans, fellow Franco fans, film fans, all that good stuff. Uh, my name is Jason Rudy, and I am here once again with you on the Franco Observer podcast. Um, today, this is episode 81, film 17, Kiss Me Monster, is the title, uh, Besame Mustro. And uh, today I am joined by someone who, when I think of kissing monsters, I think of Kali. Um, hello, Kali. How are you today? <laughs> you think of kissing monsters? <laughs> so how are you? <laughs> are you clever boy? <laughs> I'm good, but yeah. uh, I don't kiss too many monsters. I don't know. It's just something I, I can hear you say, kiss me, monster, you know. <laughs> Actually, this is a dirty joke, but I guess you could think of, of something specifically as a monster that I would kiss. But Like a one-eyed monster? Yes, that's exactly. the one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of one-eyed monsters, uh, Jess Franco still had two eyes at this point, which I guess he had all the way through. But, uh, he was looking pretty cute in this movie. Yeah, he's actually got a few appearances. He has a quick little appearance in the beginning where he's a guy running by, and then you see him later with his goatee and his cool glasses and shit. But um, this is a very odd film, and I'm kind of jumbled as such today. Um, we've all had kind of an odd few days, and uh, this movie kind of sums up the um, incoherence of everything, really, because uh, this movie is very beautiful, but very odd, and I don't know if they knew what was going on. So let me try to read the synopsis, and then that might fill in Kali and myself on what we saw and what we kind of think might happen or happened, and then we'll try to decipher it from there and tell you what we thought. All right. Uh, Diana and Regina, a.k.a. the Red Lips Girls, are drawn into a web of mystery on the island of Lopagan involving the search for a missing serum created by Dr. Bertrand scientist and occasional composer of Spanish folk songs who has recently disappeared after skipping court on a murder charge. Bertrand had discovered a way to make artificial human beings, but unfortunately for those who would like to exploit his discovery, his formula had gone missing too. Various interested parties would like to get their hands on it, chiefly a lesbian sect led by Princess Irina, who wants to create an army of women without the need for men and a rich gay couple who want to conquer the world with an army of muscular male slaves. Hiring the Red Lips girls to obtain the serum is a mysterious religious order called the Albanese. 
As their investigation continues, Diana and Regina meet numerous oddballs and would-be charmers. Vicus, a secret agent posing as a playboy, Dimitri, Professor Bertrand's assistant, and Andy Pereria, who attempts to woo the Red Lips girls and is really a ruse on behalf of Irina. That's funny. It's Andy Pereria, not Al Pereria, because Al Pereria was the detective that is in a lot of the films. Uh, Howard Vernon yeah. played and stuff, the character Al, Al Pereria. But uh, yeah, so this is a different one. So, Miss Collie, what did you think of this film? Uh, it's um, hypnotic because um, it, it, it didn't make any sense at all. Um, no matter if you tried really, really hard to, to follow what was going on, it was, I mean, there was some sort of plot, but it was mostly just kind of this haphazard, like, I loved the way people kept dying. Just every yeah. time they would try to talk to anyone, somebody would just die immediately. And it was just seemed like they just didn't make any sense. I don't know. They just kept running like to and from the murder. It was just everybody kept dropping like flies and they're trying to find this thing. I don't, never could figure out how it was that they did find it or what it did or why they wanted it. And they were being, it was just like, wait, what? Uh, okay. But it looks really cool and pretty and Oh, she's dancing again. Oh, now they're playing jazz. And it was just like, yeah, like all the, the scenes, the so many visuals were just, it was just kind of, it's just kind of a bombardment of mood and visuals and like great locations. So yeah, it was fun, but I, I I have no idea what I watched. Yeah, that's like I always say with just Franco films that are kind of odd like this or they're really incoherent. You have at least beautiful women and really cool locations. And this film carried that over in spades. So that 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 was good. But yeah, um, when we talked about watching this film, I had told you, let's watch Kiss Me Monster because that was the easiest one. And that's the one I got here. But there's also Besame Mustro, which is the Spanish print. And I almost watched this one, but I wanted to stay on track and watch the regular one, you know. But the Spanish cut, I, from what I've read, is quite a bit different. Um, like the intro's different, and some of the scenes are cut different. But there's scenes that are missing in Besame Mustro that are in this one. And so it's a little bit of a different. So we've done it again where we've watched a different version. No, well, I think we watched the same movie. We watched uh, Kiss Me Monster, right? Is that the one you watched? So, yeah. yeah. With I mean, the, well, the, the, the actual dubs. The second, it's dubbed. Really, yeah. really the worst dub you've ever heard. It is the worst dub. And one of the worst titles is where the plane like flies and it just freezes and the fonts look really bad. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, I'm sure we watched the, yeah, that's why I stayed on track. I was like, okay, I'll watch the bad the one. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just weird. It was just like, it looks so cheap and it would tell it was just like, you know. So from what I've been told, that Spanish version maybe is a little more coherent, but it's still a jumbled mess, you know? Um, okay. Cause there's some things I noticed, like in the second one, there's a scene where there's a stripper on the floor on the red ground and she's dancing. And that was from two undercover angels, the lady that's dancing in the cage. Yeah. Cause that was right. Like, wasn't this done back to back with two undercover angels? Yes. The same girls and the same, yeah. the, the red lips duo and Yeah. And we so, did that one in our other. Like, yeah, that one we did way back. So it was cool. So now as I'm yeah. catching back up and going and doing all the older Franco that I missed, where in four episodes, I'll be back on when episode 86, I'll be on episode 86, film 86. So I'll be back on the synchronicity of films and episode numbers because I went off track because when I first started, I started, I didn't start on film one. I started on a different number and then jumped around. So I'm trying to get back on the actual path. So 
Um, but yeah, so with this, um, for myself, um, so I saw two and a couple angels first, and then I saw, um, succubus second. And now this film third and, uh, Janine, um, um, Renaud has really like jumped in my eyes a lot. When I first saw her, I didn't know what to really think of her, you know, cause like I always saw her image and yeah. she looked kind of like stonish and kind of like almost like kind of masculine, but I wasn't sure. She just seemed kind of like kind of campy and, and, and I wasn't sure. Yeah. I wasn't sure of her image and stuff, but then as I got <laughs> to watch her and see her and stuff, I really like her a lot. I think she's a really cool Franco starlet and, one of his super first ultra women kind of, you know, you know, yeah, she's no totally Lena, fun. but she's I good. like her a lot better than the blonde. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. She has more of a charm. She gets with it more. Uh, she's playful and uh, she was a model. So she doesn't mind getting nude and, and she's Those just redheads. Yeah. And, and she's very, her very big good. puffy hair too. Yeah. She, she does. I know she has layers. She's the hair here and then the hair back. She has like a nice, a lot of hair happening there. Big yeah. time, big time. Yeah. Yeah. And she's pulls her thing. I'm just pulls right down and, She's just really interesting. Um, so I'm going to go through and kind of point out a few little things that I liked and uh, see what you thought. And then I'll go over and try to check off everything on the list and see what this film did. Cause this film basically nailed all the list stuff. Um, what I thought was really cool was uh, I'm going to jump right ahead and go to uh, when they're playing the sax, when they're dressed in the top hat and tails yeah. and the little panties and like the, full body stalking or pantyhose where it was they had and the thing playing the sax it was their saxophone playing was so awfully dubbed and they yeah. were like as the sound like was going it. their lips were off to the side and it was just so bad i was just shaking my head just laughing but visually totally. amazing you know and yeah. that act was funny because they were walking out in the crowd and you know they weren't playing so people in the audience were probably just like oh we're gonna be in a movie so we're gonna watch these girls just kind of walk around and pantomime you know and then there's a band of like four or five guys on stage playing in the background as they're like doing their little saxophone walkthroughs, you know? Yeah. And then it, when, once the guy dies, like right in front of her sax and they run off the stage, then the band starts playing great music all of a sudden. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I know they jump into this like big rock and roll high energy number. It's like, yeah, da, 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 da. everybody's like, oh, all right, here we go, you know? And yeah. they start fucking rocking, which is funny. Um, yeah. And it's funny. They do that a lot. Like when there's a lot of scenes where people just die and they're like, let's get out of here. And they just kind of like split all the time, you know, and it's pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. So, like if somebody died right in front of me, I wouldn't just like run and fight, like, like shouting, help him. He's dead. Like something, you know, like get help. Like, I mean, she just like sees a person like, just like, not like he's going to die. Like, and she just runs. And it's like, I mean, I know it's just a silly Franco movie, but it's just it's kind of, you know, I always kind of had that feeling like, what? Like, like, you, like you don't just abandon somebody right when they're getting murdered. You like, you know, look at that. I know. I was thinking about them. that. Like, totally. Like, <laughs> like, and like real life, if that happened to you, would you like try to call somebody or like try to hide the body or do something? You wouldn't just like take off running, you know, let's get out of here. You know, I would definitely not keep pretending to play socks or like, I would like yeah. down, look at the person and say, or, you know, like, like at least like be there for them when they die. Don't run. I mean, can could you imagine you're dying and like somebody sees you dying and just runs like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> you have to die alone. Like <laughs> I know, especially when and a lot of these people are like passing on like really information that's important to these people and like that's their life thing. And then they're killed and then the person just takes off and they're like, dude, I just wasted my life on you and you're fucking just yeah. leaving me. Like what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, like dude? they they like their last words several yeah. times are like the secret coded message that they had to relay. Like they could have, you know, said, 
you know, I love you, mom, or, you know, something for their, like, I mean, my last words would probably be, you know, like, you know, something like to that effect, not like trying to pass on some spy thing. Yeah. I mean, if I did that and then, yeah, like you said, the person was just like, all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck? Because there's one scene where they come in and they're like, I think they go find that scientist's wife or something. She's like laying on the ground dead and they like roll her over and she's got fake blood coming out of her mouth. And they're like, keep talking. They say to her something that she has like give out the dialogue and the whole clues and everything. I was laughing. They're like, they don't ask her. She's feeling okay. But while there's like, tell us more or like who did this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, who killed you? I mean, like if like, that would probably be a question I would ask if it was like somebody's last breath, like, you know, do you want me to fucking find out who killed you so i can you know get you some kind of you know i mean obviously the person will die there is no justice but you know something to that effect you know (laughs) like i mean just like just some kind of sentiment to like like i care you know about you as a human but instead they're just like give us your information don't die (laughs) so stupid so heartless like they're so heartless like like people will die right in front of them and they'll be like oh everywhere we go people are just dying like flies like (laughs) Like, yeah, we turn up people die like flies like, like it's like it's whimsical like this is like and i mean i know it's a jaunty whimsical movie but it's just kind of so surreal like but that person just died right in front of you you're giggling about it but they're also <laughs> masters of death because they have this like karate chop where they can chop somebody one time on the neck and like knock them out and they do it numerous <laughs> times so i think if you can control yeah. death and you have that in your hand that to them death is just nothing you know it seems like <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally but yeah and also what's funny is like this the serum that's in this film the MacGuffin that they're chasing it's basically this thing that you can make people without a, a conscious or without a brain or whatever it's basically like making automatons or making human zombies and you have the island of these lesbian women that want to have it to basically <laughs> make more women so they don't have to have men then you what have a princess island called I know. Uh, oh, and, and a Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, that was the. Uh, I totally know that, but sure, that's what yeah, I, yeah. you think of. And I'm embarrassed not to know that right now, but so they have but, that, yeah. and then you have the two gay guys with the big dogs, and they have the muscle-bound guys that they're making. They make the two guys where they're all buffed out with the little tied-on red underwear. Yeah, and then so you have that, and Those then you have totally, totally, and then you have the third sect is these like good old fashioned guys with the fucking black Ku Klux Klan death, like a yeah. monk. And they're the like straight hetero guys that want to get the formula and keep the way things are supposed to be type thing going. So it's really interesting yeah. the three different plays going along with these two beautiful right. girls that are either decoys or agents trying to get this like special scientific breakthrough. Yeah. So it's almost like a doctor. So it's almost like a 60s Dr. Goldfoot and the girl bombs or, or something really odd like that where it's funny, but there's still some social commentary to it and it's this and that, but it's just. Yeah, I felt like there was a lot of nods to various like contemporary films at the time. Definitely the Wonder Woman Island and then, the, yeah, like the Bond stuff. And I mean, it's obviously of the Bond girl, but like, I don't know, throughout it, like, I mean, it, it gets so jumbled as you go. Like, you, you, I can't remember them all talking with you right now, but it, yeah. but yeah, like, I just kind of got the sense that, like, they watched a bunch of contemporary things, like, yeah, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that, all in one movie. You know, <laughs> just tossed all these ideas in, like, and shook them up. Totally, and, like, <laughs> scenes are joined by, like, chases. There's, like, 
a lot of times no happen. And then they'll be like chasing in a car and you'll have the jazz music play. Then we'll go to the next scene or something will happen. Then they'll like chase again. And if people yeah. are chasing, they'll go to the next thing. I love when they like jumped in the car and their legs are dangling out the, you know, oh, yeah. the, the doors or whatever. Cause as they drive off on the, in the convertible sort of thing. Yeah. The- and when she's first picked up by the got good point when they first fly in and the guy picks them up, uh, he has a little convertible and uh, Janine sits in the front seat. And then, uh, uh, Rosanna sits in the back, but she doesn't sit in a, in the seat because there's no seat. She's like sits on the back of the car and she has that giant suitcase and they don't show it driving. They just show them pulling into the shot. But I was thinking like driving around and shit, like she would just fall off the back of that thing once it goes over 40 or 50 because she's holding that suitcase with one hand and then right. holding onto the car. You know, I'm like, that would just be goofy. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. It was funny. Yeah. I'll speak about that. It's all just supposed to look like it's all on like the seat of your hat or however that expression goes. Yeah. Yeah. But no, so that was funny. Um, and then uh, what I like to, um, yeah, I forget about two roles. You had the quick one and then he had the contact where he was saying that, that uh, a secret code word and he had on his uh, aviator shades, this little like salt and pepper kind of goatee going and standing. He's looking so tree. cute. I was like, oh, Jess is looking cute. <laughs> Yeah, he's trying to be like a little fucking playboy kind of island boy or whatever, just fucking hanging out, you know? Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, a little crush on young Jess. (laughs) (laughs) One shot I thought was so beautiful uh, was when the two gals and the guy that they picked up were swimming in the swimming pool and you see the ocean behind them and the camera just went right across them and panned as it went across. And I thought that was a really nice shot and the location and the the timing and the pacing. That was for sure. Really, I wanted yeah. to be there so bad. I was like, that looks really nice. Right yeah, now. that was so awesome. I was like really stunned by that. It was a beautiful day here in LA today. And I was just like, I had to do laundry and all this like, you know, chores. And I saw that and was like, I want to go be in a pool <laughs> in the ocean. Like, <laughs> at least, you know, at least you get to see it. <laughs> like, yeah. It. <laughs> and then in my brain, I was thinking, God, I wonder how much that would be nowadays to like check it out a hotel, have that. I mean, just crazy. I'm just thinking about the money of that going. God, that's a couple thousand dollars at least. You know? <laughs> just right. to see that fucking yeah, pool. Yeah, nowadays that would be <laughs> absurd. Um, oh, and then also, uh, I liked a couple little um, aesthetic things. Um, there's a scene where uh, Janine has to wear this dress with these feathers, these big feathers that are mm. sticking out of the dress, which was a very odd looking thing, but it fit her really well. So but it was wild. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty trippy. Yeah, was um, random. It didn't make any sense the way that it was done but it was sort of like they, uh, as if they'd like found a few cool feathers and were like let's just make this into a, a moment in the movie like let's just make the whole movie or like this whole scene around these weird feathers that kind of go into the stress like i don't know yeah, yeah they, they were just like uh, attached to her like her her arm shoulder straps yeah. or whatever yeah, like six or seven here maybe two yeah, yeah just, <laughs> she kind of held them and just kind of put them in her mouth and stroking them and that and yeah it was, it was very cool because it looked like a costume <laughs> it was just like a dress with just these feathers that were kind of sewn in or pockets or something you know it's, it's pretty clever for, uh when bjork dressed like a swan oh there you go yeah exactly <laughs> but uh more on a budget and then there was also a cool little prop that uh, one of the agent women had. It was a, uh, a old style phone that had a lamp in it. It was like talking on a phone like this, like where we have the, with your ear and you talking to the phone and it was a lamp that was on the phone. So I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, wow, that's I don't think I caught that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a lamp pole. And cause it's like those old phones, like you hold it to your ear and you go, hello, how you doing? Like from the thirties or forties yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that, that I caught was pretty badass. 
And then also, too, in this film, he mentions the Las Vegas striptease. So in this series of films coming in, his early films, each they talk about, oh, yeah, I used to be in Las Vegas as a striptease dancer. And in this era, it seems like a Las Vegas striptease dancer is some like elegant thing that they always use in high regard. And they talk about somebody's past in these early films. Oh, I was a Las Vegas striptease dancer. Like, oh, wow. So they mentioned that. She goes, remember the Las Vegas striptease? So that's like a certain thing. And I, I, he always um, fetishizes that in, in these early films. So I always yeah. dug that. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like interesting thing. Um, okay, so that was my notes on that. Um, is there any notes you have or anything you want to talk about before we jump into the list? Honestly, no. I mean, I, I'd usually have all these like, well, I don't usually have. If, if it's a movie that has like a lot of, you know, imagery and metaphor and thoughts and feelings and stuff, like I'll, I'll be all about it. But this is really just like kind of a like jumble. It's yeah. <laughs> just kind of like a it's like a visual and auditory feast. It's kind of all it is. It's like something you almost would want to like leave on at a party in the background, you know. Most definitely. You, you, <laughs> like visually, you see a lot of his interesting characters, the guys, the hoods and maybe it's like. Um, yeah, the bloody cold. judge or other stuff you'll see later on oh it's from this this is from that or or, or uh, a janine to look at or other things but yeah it's just yeah coherency is just non-existent in this film yeah, so silly yeah all right so i'm gonna go through and hit the uh franco list of the checklist of things that are always or mostly always in uh just films. here we go <laughs> so uh number one is body of water yes we talked about that the swimming pool next to the ocean you see quite a few oceans in this uh this is very uh seaside during the whole film uh two sailboats three boats yes you see those when the gals go looking around you see there's a couple of stock shots of panning across there uh number four palm trees and number five jungle sound effects go with number six chained up person these three well, palm trees are a few times, but the jungle sound effects and the chained up person is featured when um, um, Rosanna is uh, abducted by the gal gang and she's in the cage. She's chained up. And then when they let her go, she just like pulls her hands out of the shackles real easy and they raise the cage up for where she can <laughs> get out really almost at any time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then they have this probably. like jungle sound effects when that's going on, which is pretty funny. Uh, and then you have number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yeah, you have um, the guys playing the music and then it cuts to the stripper from the last film that's on the red floor from Sedist Erotica. Um, so they reuse that in place of that. And then also uh, there's a strip tease later with Janine and uh, Rosanna when she's playing the piano and she's wearing the black dress. And she says, why do we have to always keep our backs to the audience? And she goes, well, because of... Uh, she goes because then when we can do this and she turns around and flashes to the camera which is the first nudity in the film at 37 minutes so that's he's getting his nudity in but slow at this time so this is later on it'd be like 30 seconds first nudity or two minutes you know but this is this took a little while for that right. um and then you see janine so it's awesome it's not a very sexy movie it's just- no it's not it's just uh, here we are you can see our bodies real quick a little flash and here it is you know and so it checks that off the list um <laughs> number eight club scenes dancing yeah there's a few scenes where i don't know if it's a stock footage or what but it's the same scene before the strip t- the first strip t scene from the gal on the red floor you see uh, people dancing in the club and there's bands playing and such yeah. pretty cool scene actually with the music yeah. Yeah, um like 
yeah, yeah, it's really fucking a lot of energy and passion. It must have been just some random night thing he filmed some night out or I don't know. It was interesting. Probably, yeah. Uh, and then number nine, jazz music. Yeah, uh, we have that. You have the jazz with them on the saxophone and quite a few jazz music all the way through, especially in the chase scenes. Uh, number 10, excessive zooms. Not really excessive here. He has a f- just maybe two or three where he's zooming in on a window from far away, but he doesn't. He hasn't got to the zoom cycle yet of his career, so that's yeah. quite a few years. No away. playful zooms on any vaginas. Exactly. No <laughs> fucking bon voyage, fantastic voyage all the way into Lena. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, and then we have uh, number eleven out of focus shots. No out of focus shots on here because, like I said, no zooms. So he's 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 real tight with this stuff. Uh, number twelve, mirror shots. We have a, a cool one of uh, the science. The two scientists guy are the two guys. Uh, they have the dogs in that. He's standing in front of this like doorway that has mirrors all around him. Just a couple shots, nothing too major, but that's really all I caught on that. Um, number thirteen, mind control theme. Um, not necessarily mind control, but there's the serum where they produce the people that really have no minds, the mindless you know, beefcake soldier guys. So I guess that's mind control somewhat, or maybe loss of mind. Yeah. And they kind of drive her nuts with like asking her endlessly, like where the serum is. Oh yeah. Totally. All that. until she's like, I'm beginning to believe that the only thing that matter, the only thing that exists is, is this, these questions. Oh yeah. Nothing else in life is except for this damn antidote or serum, wherever it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Which is, you know, brainwashing. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. They're just trying to beat her down and hit her on the head all the time with shit. She's like, Oh, I got another headache. And they're hitting on the head with fucking guns and everything else, you know, you know, lots of chops and hitting in the back of the heads in this film, you know, um, which is a pretty easy way to, I guess, knock somebody out for on the budget. Uh, okay, so number 14, uh, magic tongue scenes. No Lena, no magic tongue, so we don't have that. Uh, <laughs> number 15, red lights, none of that. We have red lips, girls, but no red lights. Uh, 16, sheepskin or masturbation with a letter C item. That's Lena, and that's other films. So, uh, Number 17, mad scientists. Yes, we have the guys that are making the serum, so those are the mad scientists. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. Uh didn't catch a fish tank. They have a cool little monkey, though, in the island. Uh, the ladies have, like, a pet monkey that is sitting in a chair, which I enjoyed. Um, yeah, the and, mad scientist lair was pretty cool, too. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You know, they had the bubbling, all the, what do you call those things? All the... Oh, yeah, the test tubes. Blasts, all, the beakers, all, that, all, yeah. that, all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, that was, that was pretty Bunsen tight. burners and all the good stuff, yeah. Made me think of, like, you know, Swamp Thing or something. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that part out again. I, I was I think I might have checked out on that, because I, I kind of, like, visually... I don't know. I was scattered. It didn't watching. last long, but it just made me think. It made me think quickly. Quickly think of of um, the was it Return of Swamp Thing, the one with Heather Locklear. That's the second one. Yeah, Return of Swamp yeah, Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just made me think of that. That those scenes. Yeah, totally, totally. That's that's, that's fucking awesome. Um, number eighteen, fish tank shots. Didn't catch any fish tank shots in this one. Uh, nineteen, talking parrot or talking animals. No talking animals, but there's a like I said, a cute monkey that was in here. But that's about it. Uh, number 20 end credits yes or no no they're basically speeding off laughing and then it just goes to like a black screen and then it's just like music and then it just fades out which was odd you know you could tell it wasn't completed or finished or i don't know i, I don't know if they just ran out of money or i don't know i'm curious 
Uh, I mean, that was the end. Like, they got, you know. Yeah, but it could have said Finn or the end or something. I don't know. Yeah, like, they got the stuff. But I was wondering, like, what are they going to do with it? Like, what is the. Yeah, where are they taking it? They said, oh, now we're going to go back and something, something, go to sleep or go where they're supposed to go. But it's just, what are they going to do with it? They're just, like, laughing about it. But I I actually watched that ending twice to be like, wait, what are they going to do now? Like, like, did I miss that? I I was like, oh, none of this makes sense. It's fine. Yeah, it's kind of open. Yeah, it's sad that like those two now have like this ultimate power. So I'm curious what they're going to do, you know. See yeah, they're not exactly, you know, the brightest kids in the block. Themselves, so <laughs> yeah, I wonder what they're going to do with that. Uh, <laughs> maybe make a whole legion of supermodels, brainless supermodels. <laughs> oh, wait, it's already happened. Never mind. Uh, like, wait, let's take it to those guys that are going to be the our servants. <laughs> like, let's exactly. Just, let's, let's go with I'm that island. <laughs> door number two myself. There you go. <laughs> Uh, number 21, handwritten, anything handwritten, signs or notes. Um, the only thing I caught that was halfway was uh, there's a sign when they pull up to this place that says uh, Rodeo. Let's see, where was it at again? 21. Um, nothing really major. I think it was a sign. Oh, yeah. Uh, it says um, Rodeo Beach. It was kind of a funky sign that was made up when they were pulling into this house, but that was the only thing, and that really wasn't that much. But one thing I will say that was cool was um, I liked the symbol on the uh, on the windmills. I liked how the guy's ring had the. Wasn't that a rune? Tank. I thought that was that was a rune. Oh yeah, a rune. But it looked like the on on the rune it had like lines. So to me, when I saw it, it looked like when they first saw that windmill with the empty spaces, it kind of looked like his ring a little bit. So they're like, oh yeah, oh. And they went back to the thing and it kind of connected. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool cheap touch but it really worked to like connect those the location and just a cheap ring or whatever and you know even though when they showed the ring you could tell it was like a freeze frame shot you know it's like you had to see it you know it's kind of funny mm-hmm. um so there's that and then uh see number 22 spiral staircase yeah they have a really cool spiral staircase in their place and you see it like when they first get to their little apartment uh number 23 inept cops most definitely uh, the cops in this were very inept. The guy, uh, Malou, brought the scientist killer into their house to basically kill them, you know? And he was like, oh, he tricked me. I thought, and, and I had no choice. And then you don't know if the guy's Interpol, and they knock him out with a karate chop when they split. And so it's just like all this totally inept cops and inept law enforcement, as usual. Yeah. Uh, number 24, belly chains. Didn't catch any belly chains in this. Uh, number 25 kinks i'd say there's a cool scene when the gal's tied up and the guy's whipping her and he has his shirt off and he's like just fucking whipping her and um it's really the only kink i really caught well uh maybe there's a few but that was just the one that really visually was almost like a nice 50s pulp kind of a picture there yeah um, number 26 uh this is one that i've added since you've been on the show i have a thing now of great headboards does this film have a bed with a great headboard and I didn't really catch that in this because they have these little beds that they sleep on kind of on top of each other and back, you know, but a lot of these eras have the big gaudy, cool ass fucking headboards. For sure. So. That's a good thing to look for in every movie. Like, yeah, know, is there a cool every 70s, 80s movie, you can find some lead 60s, all, every. Yeah. Yeah. Big I, time. I love a good headboard. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that <laughs> good area like that. Uh, okay. And then number seven or 27 uh, now, is the theme of this film fear or desire? I would say fear, maybe, because they fear that antidote getting in the wrong hands and the ending of the world. 
uh, or maybe the desire to control the race and the humanity and everything and have your own soldiers. So I don't know. What would you say? Is this fear or desire based? Mm, I guess fear probably just because like to have a power that could, you know, do messed up things to humanity in having not knowing who's going to control it, especially with those like creepy dudes with the hats, you know, they, yeah, the big I mean, you're saying KKK, they kind of reminded me like bishops or some kind of like, yeah, almost like, a like, you know, world order sort of religion, like, you know, some kind of Catholicism type weird sect thing. I don't know. That stuff terrifies me. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> almost what? like they were um, a witch burners or something like with that type of right, right. thing, you know, especially with totally. keeping the, you know, heterosexual male and women together, going through like that was their you know whatever but but that's so yeah it was that all kind of went to that that puritanical you know for sure this yeah. this, this you know type deal so yeah very cool but uh yeah no it, it was uh it's an interesting film i mean it's not total shit um oh. you know visually it's beautiful there's beautiful girls in it it's but it's not anything i mean i wish they would have took the time and maybe edited it but oh yeah actually let's talk about something that's a that is the elephant in the room the dubbing in this film. You, yeah. you had mentioned it in the beginning and we kind of went past it. This is, has to be one of the worst dubbings. The women, the guy, every, everybody in this so film bad. is just terribly dubbed. Yeah. 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 The inflection on certain things is just, I'm pretty sure, just 100% off, like what the intention was. So it's hard to follow, even. It's like if somebody's reading a story and not like, giving the right inflection at the right times. Yeah. Very like, monotone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're like, you know, saying things totally flat that aren't meant like ironically flat or like in jest or then they should have some kind of emotion to it. But they're just like, you know, sort of like there, there is a lot of like, you know, when the same people die like flies or whatever, but it's like said so kind of coldly. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and not like funny, just like, like awkward. And it, it and like, but you know that because of the music, it kind of plays off, but there's this weird I don't know, energy to it that, yeah, it, it's just, it's just strange. And I don't know. I feel like the, like the blonde, for instance, has kind of a very, very masculine look to her. And, and you were saying that, you know, the um, Janine does as well to an extent. And it's kind of strange when they have these like deep, low voices that are like kind of always sort of serious. And yeah. I don't know. It just, it lends a strange quality to their sexuality. And they're like, you know, you want them to be more like, you know, usually like you've got Lena going, Oh, <laughs> so it's kind of, yeah. Janine was almost like a really slow Nico almost just like yeah well, you know i have to totally. be there next tuesday it's like okay mm-hmm. you know and just yeah but you know if and that was a good thing yeah, like, for that's me. not the vibe yeah and as a filmmaker <laughs> like watching this this shows you how important dubbing is good dubbing or bad dubbing and also editing like that's two things to learn off this film is if they would have fixed the dubbing and would have fixed the editing they probably would have had a a much better film that's not saying a lot but but that's definitely i mean yeah it still would have been incoherent for the most part but it would have been at least a little like nicer to follow yeah they would have tightened it up made some sense of some shit and and, and fixed yeah. some of the things that were crazy there's a lot of good pieces of this film and, and like i said if they would have put it together right instead of just putting it together and just all it's over fun the and just as like you know particular brand of genius still shines through but it's not definitely yeah. not one of his best films no no yeah. no definitely not not but uh so yeah, so I don't know. Uh, it's good for continuity's sake to go through and stuff. So if you're a Jess Franco fan, I, I would recommend this. But 
if you're a movie fan, I don't know. Uh, if you like those sixties kind of silly spy romps that are like our man Flint knockoffs or James Bond or Spectre or any of that stuff. You may like it for all the great visuals and stuff. It's totally something to have on like your big TV. Like when, you know, you've got friends over and you just kind of want something playing. Like I liked, I have like a little list of movies that I have for that purpose, you know, just to kind of have something on that people can glance up and like be amused with and smile at for a sec and then look away and get back to the conversation sort of thing. You know, I'm a big fan of like music movies as background. And I feel like this is a really strong one for that because it just has so like such a jumble of different visuals that are so awesome. Yeah. And it's a film (laughs) where like, nobody's going to want to like get out of a conversation to like pay attention to because you can't pay attention to it. So it's just like, yeah, you can just run. And, and if you're not, well, hold on, man, I'm trying to pay attention. No, no, you're not. There's no way you can fucking pay attention to it. So just talk to me, you know? So yeah, definitely. I yeah. Really agree with you on that. So yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, when you, you're playing your own music and you just want something like cool on the screen, it totally is. This is one of those movies. That's what yeah. I think this movie has. Very, very it's much so. Definitely eye candy. Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> good. So Alrighty. Well, uh, I want to thank you for joining me on this, uh, episode 81, uh, of, uh, the Frank Observer podcast. And, uh, I will be speaking to you for much future episodes. Woo-hoo. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>